His was a life defined by acts of faith that would change the course of history. Join us as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on Abraham and the difficult journey of faith. Proceeded Genesis chapter 19, which will be our text tonight. But before we go there, I just want you to see Psalm chapter 33, Genesis chapter 19, Psalm chapter 33. So go to Psalm 33 first, if you would. Kind of goes a little bit along, along with what uh, Brother Burns said tonight. Psalm chapter 33. <clears throat> the Bible says in Psalm 33, I just want you to hear this. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings, sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord hath the heaven, were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in, the store, in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. I just want you to focus for just a second tonight on the first few verses there. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise is comely or proper or good for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Well, why would we do that? And then he talks about it throughout the whole passage. There's just something wonderful when the believer praises and worships the Lord with their voice. Just something wonderful happens. And it ought to be, if I could say it this way, it ought to be something that carries you through the week and through the weeks. We ought to sing and be passionate about it and lift our voice. Turn me down just a tad bit in the monitors, if you would. Uh, we ought to sing and be passionate about it. And we ought to sing whether the pastor has to fire up the crowd or whether Brother Byrne has to fire up the crowd or any of that. We just ought to just get up. Hey, we get to sing praise to the Lord. We get to, now we get to sing praise to the Lord. Not every king would let just anybody sing. You had to be good, but God's just like, well, you're one of my children. You got a crummy voice, but it is what it is. I'll still let you sing. That was supposed to be funny. Y'all haven't been funny today. I'll work harder. But singing, what a great thing. The redeemed really will sing forever, Jesus saves. I don't know how much we'll sing in heaven, but I can tell you, it's going to be a lot. And there might be some, some people here who just, I, sometimes I watch. I don't always watch y'all sing. But this morning I was watching some of y'all sing and you were like, the redeemed will sing forever. Jesus saves. Going to be a boring heaven for you for a while. You got to lift your voice in, in joy to the Lord, man, and celebration of him every time we meet. Whether we come to Wednesday night, now if you're not used to coming to Wednesday night, you need to come, it's a Bible study time. And it's the one time a week when Bernie selects the worst songs possible. 
Lynn and I have talked for years, like, could you pick worse songs on a Wednesday night? It, it's almost like you had the junior hires pick them. It's like, oh, and they're just thinking a joke, like, huh, no one will sing this. And, and Brother Lynn is good Marines, like, so we were told to do. And I'm thinking, I have no idea how that would be picked. But Wednesday night songs uh, or... <laughs> <laughs> that are old and crummy. Brother Burns mad at me right now, and so you guys pray for his bad attitude. Um, or uh, the amazing music we have on Sunday. I, I, I don't know either one of them, but just lift your hearts in celebration to the Lord. In celebration to the Lord. How many are you excited about having tomorrow off? How many of you have tomorrow off? How many of you have to work tomorrow? Anybody? All right, there's a few of you. Leslie raised her hand. You're a mom. You always work. A man works from sun to sun. A woman's work is never done. Unless you're an assistant pastor at Canyon Ridge, a man barely works and a woman's work is never done. So (laughs) I'm kidding. I hope you guys have a great time tomorrow. Uh, Genesis chapter 19 in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 19. Church ought to be a fun place. We ought to be a place where we enjoy... um, now, I learned something yesterday from Zane Garza, our newest staff member. I said to Zane, I said, these were my words. I said, I hear you like to give Judith a hard time. And, uh, and Zane goes, no, I don't. I said, well, that's what I hear. He goes, no, I, I'm never mean to her. I said, well, mean and hard time, they're two separate things. So if you're from Ohio, the Northeast, those repressive communist states where the sun never shines... That just is a colloquialism for you like to have fun with and joke around. That's really how church should be. Fun, joke around, enjoyable, all of that. And so I, I, I gave Zane a hard time. I was kidding around with Zane about that. And so, because now I've learned that hard time means something mean. But I'm not going to change. Yeah, I've been doing it this way for 49 years. And so he has to change because he's much younger. How many of you agree that the younger people need to change to be uh, in accordance with the older generation? I'm tired of always changing for these young guys. They're like, oh, man, I remember like growing up like, hey, you say this, don't, not that, this, not that. And I learned all the words I was supposed to say. Now I'm being told about every three weeks I need to say something different. And I just can't keep up. So I'm just going to try to be nice and kind and loving and gracious and ask the young people to abide by the old people, which I think is a biblical model that I'll preach on next Sunday night. How many of the old people agree with me? All right, all right. How many of the young people are going to go home and get online and go, our pastor was mean tonight, so I'm kidding. Genesis chapter 19, Genesis chapter 19. Now, um, to give a little background, um, because it's it's been a (laughs) a few weeks since I preached on Sunday night, and it's really, other than last week, it's a few weeks that you've, since you've heard a sermon on Sunday night, quite a few devotionals. Um, and I, I don't know that you've heard any sermons at all, just the, the Garza family devotional nights. I don't care that you're the favorite preacher at Canyon Ridge. I'm going to give the word. <laughs> now, if you're new here and you're wondering, you seem to be giving him a hard time. When I hired him, like, you're the youngest staff member here. We're going to just give you a hard time for a while till you just kind of learn. And so um, until he can preach a 45-minute sermon, uh, we're just going to have to give the brother a hard time. Um, but... Uh, 
August the 1st was the last time that we preached out of here. So I want to give you a little bit of background. Genesis chapter 18 is that powerful passage on intercession we looked at really from about verse number 19 and following. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to verse number 16, is God, Jesus, we believe it's a Christophany. Some people call it a theophany. I, we're not going to argue about the terminology. Basically the same thing. Where God, uh, through the person of Jesus Christ, meets with Abraham uh, on a one-on-one basis. Uh, they meet one another. They see one another face to face. In chapter 18, verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him, God, Jesus appeared unto Abram in the plain of Mamre, and he sat in the tent, as he, and he, Abram, sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So Jesus comes and he meets with Abram in the first Nah, roughly 15, 16 verses is Jesus reminding Abraham of the promise that he made to him and Jesus telling Abraham that he is going to have a son by that time next year, by the time in 18.1, the very next year, they will have a son by then. And then the scripture moves to God telling or Jesus telling Abraham about the soon destruction that is coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord is going to destroy everything in Sodom and Gomorrah and everyone. And not just in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll I'll deal with this in just a second, but in all the cities around there, that whole region will be destroyed. And remember the prayer that Abraham turns to the Lord and he prays, Lord, if we can find 50 righteous there, will you still destroy the city if if there are 50 righteous with the wicked? And God says no. And then it goes to 45 and 40 and 30 and and then 20 and then 10. and, And God, at the end of chapter 18, God, God, the Lord said, uh, I will not destroy it in, in verse number 32. I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if you can find 10 righteous people. Well, a lot of people say, why did Abraham stop with 10? We don't know, but it, it seems to be uh, there's, there's, there, there's a ton of debate. Uh, we know that later in, in, you had to, in order to set up a synagogue that Jews had to have 10 adult men there that were followers. It could be that. It could be that Abraham thought that Lot and his wife and his uh, four daughters and two of them were married, which would have compromised uh, or, or composed of eight people. And he could have had more children. We don't know, but scripture doesn't say that. And maybe they had reached two other people and maybe that is why there's a lot of speculation as to why Abraham stopped with 10 we don't know but what we do know is that he went from God went from I will destroy the whole city or the whole area to if you can find just 10 people I won't destroy it well you couldn't find 10 people it's kind of a bummer you couldn't find 10 people 10 righteous people Matter of fact, you couldn't even find 10 sort of righteous people. What you found was an entire region that was wholly given over to destructive, sinful, perverted behavior. That's what you see in this whole text. And through this text, we see the personality of God. And we see in verses 1 to 14, we will not read all the text. We will study this entire chapter tonight or look at it this entire chapter tonight. We see firstly tonight that God who is gracious and kind and we see his graciousness in chapter 18 and from verse 23 all the way to verse number 33 and the character of God is again on display even in chapter 19 that God mercifully sends messengers to warn the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
He mercifully sends messengers. God is not required to send messengers to warn the city. But it seems as though, it doesn't see, I, I say that a, a little bit hyperbolically, God seems to always send a messenger to a people who are about to be destroyed. We don't need to look too far to Jonah, who's going to go to Nineveh, and he preaches a really crummy message like either repent or God's going to destroy you and the whole city repents and has one of the greatest revivals in the entire scripture and the entire scripture with that simple little brief message God sends the disciples all around Israel before the coming or before the crucifixion of Christ in Matthew chapter 10. And they go throughout the whole region and he empowers them to heal every sickness and every disease. And they go throughout that whole region preaching the gospel. The apostle Paul goes throughout regions of the world and he's preaching the gospel. The disciples disperse throughout the whole world and they're preaching the gospel. God always sends messengers. And can I say very candidly, God always wants messengers to go and proclaim the gospel and God wants you to be one of his messengers. People say all the time, boy, the people that I work with, pastor, if you knew how ungodly they were, they really need somebody to share the gospel with them. They have somebody to share the gospel with them. It's you. People sometimes say, I really wish somebody would come. It's you. I wish somebody would witness to my family. God sent you to be that messenger. God mercifully puts people in a place to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Well, Lot's here, and we see God mercifully sending messengers. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter 19, and there came two angels to Sodom at even, or in the evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, you see the moral decline of Lot here? in the city of Sodom and in the city of Gomorrah and the cities that are around there. And we could read about the cities that are in the region in Genesis 14 when we studied that region that was at war with the kings of the east that Abraham went and defeated. In other cities there around, what would happen is that the city business seemed to always be done in the gates of the city. Two type of things would be done. People would set up their booths in the city gate, and basically the city gate was, for lack of a better term, it was the courthouse. It was where legal matters were settled. It was where legal matters were done. It was where the city got together, and they they did the business of the city, and they did that in the city gate. And Lot is there in the city gate and we see his moral decline. We see his, if I could say it this way, his lack of separation from the world. Lot was fully engrossed in the world at this time. He was engaged in the business of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you were to turn over to Genesis chapter 13, verse number 9, you would see really quickly that Lot had a decision at one point in his life where the Bible said when when Abraham and Lot, they had been so blessed of the Lord and their their herds had been and their flocks had been so blessed that the the grasses on which they were feeding their, their flocks and their herds were not capable of providing for them. So Abraham and Lot, Abraham comes with this idea, Lot, let's separate one from another. You pick the 
way to go. If you go to the east, I'll go to the west. If you go to the west, I'll go to the east. Wherever you go, I'll go the opposite way. Abram was so spiritual and godly and humble that he let his worthless nephew decide what to do. Lot should have depended on Abraham, but Lot was self-serving and self-aggrandizing. And Lot chose, the Bible said in verse number 10 and 13, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord, but everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, or as the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose them all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves one from the other. Lot chose the well-watered plains. Abraham was left with the residue. Abraham had the crummy ground. Lot had the good ground. Abraham had rescued Lot. Abraham had raised Lot. Abraham had cared for Lot. And yet Lot put his own interest above that of his uncle. Abraham, verse number 12 of verse 13, chapter 13, dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Well, what does that mean? It means that Lot put his front door every night before he would go to bed, before his family would go to bed, before his wife and his four daughters would go to bed and go to sleep. The last thing that they saw in their life was the city of Sodom. The first thing they saw when they woke up was the city of Sodom. Every day they were consumed with thoughts of what's going on in Sodom. And then we would read later that Lot has not only pitched his tent towards Sodom. We'd go to chapter 14 a couple of years later after this event. Lot had been worn down and worn down and then he moves into Sodom. And now we get to chapter 19, and it seems as though either he is a business leader or he is one of the town fathers in Sodom. I mean, this dude started out as the son of, or the the nephew of Abram. He had left Canaan with his uh, the, uh, the Haran with his uncle into the Canaan land, and and Lot is now living inside. Of Sodom. Abraham had rescued Lot in chapter 14, verse number 12, because the people at Sodom had left Lot to die. People, the, the king of Sodom had left Lot to, to, to figure out his own way. Lot had been captured by the kings of the east. Lot was about to be a slave while the king of Sodom was running and hiding, and Abraham went and rescued Lot. The king of Sodom comes back to Sodom, and what does Lot do? Lot moves back in with the king of Sodom. It's horrific what Lot does. It's horrific. Lot was, I do not mean this in an unkind way, but Lot was a fool on every single level. Lot was captivated by sin. Lot was captivated by the pleasures of the world. Lot viewed the world as the things that that the world had so much to offer him. And he's living in Sodom now. He's sitting at the city gates and these, these two angels come in and, and uh, verse number one, and Lot bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He humbled himself before them. He knew exactly who they were. The men of the city had no idea, but he knew who they were. He's sitting outside the city gates. There's a group of men with him. Two angels walk through the gates. And when they walk through the gate, Lot recognizes them. And Lot does not want to get embarrassed. So he bows himself. He understands who they are. Nobody else bows to them. Nobody else shows them any respect. And Lot speaks to them in verse number two. He says, behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night Wash your feet 
And you shall rise up early and go on your way. (laughs) And they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. means he strongly urged them. He persuaded them. He argued with them. Now, I find it rather comical that Lot's telling these two angels how to stay safe while he is living in a city that is so depraved and so perverted that he has to keep them off of the streets. But if you notice something now, now I'm not trying to read into the text here, but as I read it, this is what I see in this text. Now, we could contrast Lot and Abraham in so many ways, or Lot and Jonah in so many ways, but Abraham back in chapter 18, when they said to, when the angels, these same angels along with the Lord come to Abram, they don't want to stay with Abram, and Abram begs them to stay with them, and he feeds them. You remember that? He feeds them, and they kill the cattle, or the calf, and they cook the bread, and he feeds them, and they have a feast there, and Abraham serves them. Notice what Lot is doing. He says, listen, come to my house, wash your feet, eat tonight, and as soon as you can, leave in the morning. Get out of here as quick as you can. Now, I don't want to speak to Lot's motivation, but I will. Here's what I think it might be. I really don't think you guys should be here, and I really don't want to be seen with you. It's kind of like when the pastor shows up unannounced to somebody's house and they've got friends over. People are like, they shut the door really quietly. They stand outside. They, they try to talk quietly. They don't want people to know that I'm over at their house. Like, hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, just a few friends over. Keep it down. Why should we keep it down? Well, you know, I mean, they're not believers and we're kind of, oh, I get it. I get it. You're engaged in things you're totally uncomfortable with me knowing about. I mean, I wouldn't say it that way, Pastor. Okay, how would you say it? Well, there's just things going on here I don't want you to see. Like what? I haven't seen those things before. Like I haven't been living my life with people whose lives have been in the world. Oh, no, you don't want your reputation to be ruined. I get it. I want to open the door. I literally, I never have done it, but I just want to open the door and say, hey, so-and-so is one of our staff members. (sighs) Really? No, he's not, but I, I just want to say that. So these two angels, you know what they do? They go to Lot's house. And he made them a feast and he baked unleavened bread and, and they did eat. But before they went to sleep that night in verse number four, an evil, horrible, perverted event happens. Before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed or surrounded the house round or all around the house, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's not speaking here hyperbolically. Um, Hyperbolically just means they're, they're... they're exaggerating to prove a point. My wife says I'm a master of exaggeration. I just follow, try to follow the scriptural principles here, all right? 
That's supposed to be funny too. But no, sometimes I'm given to exaggeration. But this is not given to exaggeration. There's a double emphasis here that he's really trying to draw our attention that all the men of Sodom have surrounded the house of Lot, probably a decent sized house, at least for that part of the world in that time. And all the people from every quarter or all the men from every part of the city, young men and old men are there. And notice the perversion of Sodom. They called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Where are the men that came into town? We know they're men. We know they came in. Where are they? They bring them unto us or out unto us that we may know them. There's children in the room, but they wanted to, to abuse these men. That, that's their desire. All the men of Sodom are together to abuse these men. And they're, they're yelling this from outside the door. I don't know if they have a representative. I don't know if they've all got together to say it together. But whatever the case is going on, they're literally yelling this inside the house. Because verse number 6 says that Lot comes out the door unto them and he shuts the door after them. So Lot's inside with the angels, doesn't know what's going on. They've surrounded his house under what seems like some covert pre-staged plan. And they get to Lot's room or to Lot's house and somebody is outside the door, maybe outside a window. And they say, hey, there's some men that came tonight. Bring them out to us that we may know them and do what we desire to do with them. Lot, I, I thought about playing Lot tonight, but I, I just don't want to, I, it was easier for me to play the role of Mary than it would be the role of Lot. But Lot, in my mind, does this, he opens the door. Because Lot knows who they are. There's no doubt in Lot's mind who they are. Lot knows who they are. Lot is a righteous man. Lot's a saved man. The conviction that has to be going on in Lot's heart has got to be major at this moment. I'm living inside a city and they want to violate these men. And he puts his head out the door and he sees and he looks around. This is how it happened in my mind. I'm not trying to add to the scripture. I'm just saying in my mind, you got to have a little bit of imagination and some of scripture. And he, and he looks left and he sees there's men everywhere. And he looks right and he sees men everywhere. And he steps outside the door. And you know when you step outside the door when your kids are sleeping and you don't want to wake them up. Like somebody knocked on the door and you don't want some of you young mothers to know exactly what I'm talking about. Your master's at opening the door and closing it behind you and that's what Lot does he stands out he gets outside the door he closes the door behind him and and he's like guys what's going on And, and and he says this it's so interesting verse number seven and he said this brethren do not so wickedly don't do this wickedness this this is wicked don't do this And the men of the city of Sodom have nothing to do with them, with Lot. They're going to do what they want to do. They're going to say what they want to say. They're, they're going to do whatever is, is good in their eyes. If, if you, if you think about it, they're, they're, they're doing anything that they want and everything that they want. And they don't care what Lot says because they want what they want. Verse number eight. Here's his compromise. Lot's a negotiator. He said, don't do this so wickedly. Verse number eight. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. 
I mean, notice the, the weakness of Lot. He wouldn't stand up against them. And then know the wickedness of Lot. I've got two daughters. They've not known men. Let me bring them out unto you. And then notice this verse. It's so interesting. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Hey, guys, just do to them whatever you feel like doing to them. If it's good in your eyes, you go ahead and do it. I've got two daughters. I, you can have these two beautiful daughters that have not known men. You, you can have these wonderful girls. They're yours. I'll let every man in the city abuse them however he sees fit. You can have them. Just don't touch these two men. I wouldn't want Lot for a dad. Lot's dad was a wuss on every level. You say, well, what should he have done? Died to protect his daughters. Probably should have been a lot better at picking where to live. We'll bring that up at the end. He says... It's, 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 it's like he understands him. You can have my daughters and do whatever you want. Only these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. See, the culture says that you have to take care of people that come into your house. And these men have come into my house. So don't mess with the men, but you can have my daughters. And it's almost like Lot put his foot down. Like, you can't have my daughter or, or these men. I'll give you my girls, but you can't have these men. By the way, let me just say this because I need to say this. A godless society disparages and despises women. Let me go one step further. We live in a world today that talks about women's rights and protecting women. The, the, the more critical race theory that we go, the deeper we go into this, this socialist Marxist movement like BLM and other organizations, the more abusive you're going to see people towards women in our world. Why? Because it is a Christian worldview that provides, cares for, takes care of, and protects those who are weaker, especially those who are women. And it's a Christian ideology that women are heirs together of the grace of God with those of us that are men and the communist, socialist, atheistic movement. It's all about survival of the fittest and getting what you want and, and, and abusing anyone that you can to provide for what you want. And make no mistake, the world in which we live, the further we go away from God, ladies, make no mistake, the more discouraged and disgusting our world will be towards you. fires me up to consider things like the average girl today by clickbait and other things sees pornography now by the time she's 13 years old. And every time she sees pornography, she is degraded and degraded and degraded and degraded. You say, well, it will stop at that. It never stops. Sin never stops. Sin has no end point other than the ultimate and utter destruction of man. 
You take this 10, 15 years prior when Lot just pitches his tent towards Sodom. Lot's not thinking, one day I'll give up my daughters to the, all of the men of Sodom to abuse. And we know it would happen because we could read about this in the book of Judges where the one uh, man from, uh, I forget the city that he's from, but he gives his wife to the men of the city of Benjamin. And the men of the city of Benjamin abuse his wife or, or his betrothed wife all night long. And he wakes up and she's at the door and, and she's dead. They have literally abused her to death. And that's exactly what lay in store for Lot's daughters. And Lot says to the men, you do whatever you want with my daughters as it seems good to you. Well, why would he say that? Because he was so devoid of the influence of God in his life. I don't mean to be political, but these Democrats and socialists that are in our world, ladies, make no mistake, they do not have your best interest at heart. They have their best interest at heart, and their best interest is controlling and abusing and and categorically denying you of your God-given place of heirs together of his grace. And I have no problem saying that in any venue we live. Men can now go into women's restrooms. Men can now compete in women's sports. You tell me women aren't going to be the ones that suffer the greatest? You have no, we have no idea without a national revival what is going to happen in the world in which we live. A lot offers his daughters. And the men of the city, he puts his foot down and knows what they say. This is them talking a lot. Now, Lot's either a business leader or a political leader. Again, we don't know for sure. But he's in some position of leadership. You say, why is that? Because remember, he's standing in the gate. They didn't just let anybody stand in the gate. This is a place of prominence, a place of prestige. And Lot's in the gate, and they say in verse number 9, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn. They're talking to Lot about Lot. It's each other rather about Lot. And he needs be a judge. Now we deal worse with thee than with them. You think we're going to deal badly with them, dude. You don't get out of our way. We're going to deal way worse with you than with them. And they pressed sore upon Lot. That phrase press sore literally means to take his arm and put it behind his back and begin to wrench on the arm behind his back. They literally take Lot and it's like they turn him around and they begin to abuse Lot. And let me say this to the believer. To the believer, when the world is done with you and when you tell the world no, make no mistake, the world will have no time for you. You tell the world no. You put your foot down. You say, no, I'm not going there. And you literally put your foot down. Once you, you have a line that you say, I will not cross this line, they will be done with you. They have no time for you. And by the world, I mean the world's system and the world's governance and, 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 and the world's ideology. They have no time for you. And so Lot talks to these men and they take Lot and, and, and they begin to uh, uh, take his arm and twist it behind his back and they push him. The, the word language, I'm told by people who study this, very, very in depth. They've kind of turned him around and put his face towards the door and they began to almost abuse Lot. What happens? Well, the two angels open the door and they reach through the door and they pull Lot in the house. The story's not done. Verse number 11 And the two angels smote the men, they, or the two angels, smote the men of Sodom that were at the door of the house with blindness 
both small and great, everyone smote with blindness, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. They're trying to get into Lot's house. They're trying to abuse Lot to prove a point. They pull Lot in the house, the angels do. Everyone who's attacking him is smote with blindness. And verse number 11, they wearied themselves. The word weary means to tire someone out or to be fatigued. They got tired of trying to find the door to get into Lot's, Lot's house. Even blindness, listen to me, blindness didn't stop them from their perverted passions. They're still trying to get in. I'm telling you right now, if I'm staying in at Whataburger and I'm getting ready to order a number two with extra cheese and mustard because that's what we will eat in heaven. And I'm standing there, it's double cheeseburger, extra cheese, or not extra cheese, just extra mustard, extra onion, extra tomato because Jesus loves vegetables. He created them. And I'm standing there and I order that and I'm smote with blindness. The last thing I'm worrying about in the moment is Whataburger. Like, what just happened to my eyes? I'm like, Debbie, I can't see. She'll be like, Bernie's out in the car driving for us. You'll be fine. Because Bernie ain't eating at Whataburger and I'm not paying it for in and out. I'm smoked with blindness. I'm not caring about anything, but these men are so inflamed with passion. And by the way, that's where sexual perversion will always take you. Your whole world could be crashing around, but you think you've got to have this thing. You think this thing will bring satisfaction. That's the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. They thought that this thing would bring them passion, and they smote the men with blindness. And the men wearied themselves to find the door. And the men, the angels said unto Lot, Hast thou any here besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whithersoever thou hast to the city? Verse number 12, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy this city. The word destroy in verse number 13 is interesting because it's the same word that is referenced in the flood early in the book of Genesis. And here it is the, here it's object is this place. In other words, the idea here is, is this is an accusing cry or the crime is crying out for justice or God has seen the injustice that is going on in this world and God is bringing judgment because the injustice has a cry that God hears make no mistake we sometimes are wondering when is God going to do anything make no mistake he is going to do something in his time because the cry of injustice is great verse number 14 Lot's influence in his family was non-existent. He was just so really worthless. Lot went out. Hey, Lot, go find your family. You got any, anybody other than your sons-in-law and your two daughters that aren't in the house? No, that's all I've got. Lot, go get them because we are going to destroy. We are going to obliterate this place. That's the idea of the word. Lot spake to his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said to them, this is what he says, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. 
But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. The word mocked means literally they thought he was telling a joke. They thought he was trying to be funny. They thought he was, the word literally means to play the role of a comedian or a jokester. They, they, they thought that Lot was just playing a joke, playing around. Like, like are you serious, Lot? <laughs> Come on, that's a funny joke. God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God's never destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We're, we're fine here. We're not leaving. What a life that when you tell your family of impending judgment, they really think you're joking around. Well, we see in verse 15 to 22 that the influence of the world is alluring to believers, but contemptible to God. In verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, and when the morning arose and the angels hastened to Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And he lingered, and while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Now, let your mind be creative for a moment. You don't even have to be creative. It's clear in the text. But if it's your first or second time to read it, I hope you always read it on Sunday afternoon. It'll bring it alive better on Sunday night. But the morning comes. Lot goes to his two daughters and his two sons-in-law and says, hey, tomorrow morning God's going to destroy this city or tomorrow's God's going to destroy the city. You got to get out of the city. And they're laughing at him like dude's trying to tell jokes. I'm not going to listen to this guy. What is he trying to do? He's a jokester. He's funny. Ha, 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 ha. And the morning comes and Lot knows that these men are serious. And the morning comes and the sun rises and, and God's going to destroy the city on that day. And these two dudes are asleep or Lot's sleeping along with his whole family. Destruction's coming, death is coming. Did you see in verse 15? Lot, get up. Lot, it's time to wake up. Arise. Why does he say arise? Because he's not arisen. He's still asleep. It's like they have to go in and say, hey, Lot, come on, buddy, you got to wake up. To Lot, this is like the first day of school. For me, some of you loved first day of school. Some of you, Debbie, like woke up early, had all of her stuff together. You know, I can't wait. It's the first day of school. Me, on the other hand, I was like Jesus. I tried to hide, fake a sickness, call out a botulism. I tried to, you know, bomb threat the school. Back when we were kids, they were like, there's a bomb in the school. My parents were like, well, you'll die there just as well. I mean, Lot, Lot gives no concern. Lot's just asleep. They have to come and wake him up. His family is, is in jeopardy. And then he finally wakes up. And the angels are sent to destroy the city. And notice verse number 16. It's like he wakes up and Lot has to run over and he has to grab. The angels have to grab Lot and Lot's wife and Lot's two daughters. And they literally have to take them by the hand and pull them out of the city. The word picture of that is like... Um, uh, oh, oh, I got it. It's a good illustration. Zane, come here. Back in the day, like a couple weeks ago, Zane's sons would be playing on the playground. 
and it would be time to go home. And Zane's sons didn't want to go home. And you could see Zane and Zane's wife, who shall remain nameless, Callie. And they would often have Jace by the hand. Or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said Jace, but there's only two choice and one oldest. And he wanted to stay and play on the playground with all of his friends, which is a wonderful thing. And I, we want him to do it. That's why we thank God for the playground. But this is what they had to do. They had to pull him out of the city. But kind of fight a little bit like your son does. That's what, the, come on, Jace. And then Zane would have to go over to him. Boy, if you don't stop walking, I'm going to see you. I don't know what he said, but Callie started crying and Jace stood at attention. And then he just slowly walked out of the city to, you know, the, you know, the gulag of their house or whatever. But he literally had to pull them. And these angels, they, come here, come here, come here, come here. This is the word picture, okay? No, no, sit on this side. Like one angel, one's got each and they're doing this. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's go. Wow, she's way stronger than you, Zane. Uh, (laughs) And and the angel is literally, I mean, that's the idea of verse number 16. They're pulling them out. And then the other angel has the two, however it was, might have had one parent, one kid, whatever, I don't know. But they're literally pulling the kids, the, the people out of the city and they take them to the plane. And the angel's like, now we've got to go back in and we've got to destroy the city. Don't go back into the city. I mean, they had seen what the angels did the night before, but Lot and his family were so attracted to the world. And his two daughters were so enamored with the world. And notice verse number 16. While they, I should have said this to begin, while they lingered. Hey guys, we're going to destroy the city. They lingered. The word linger simply means that They delayed, took longer than they needed. If you don't know what that means, uh, either you've never had teenage girls or they're not old enough yet to linger in the bathroom when you need to leave. If you've had teenage girls, you know what I'm talking about. Like, hey, no offense, teenage girls. It's, just, it's like something in your DNA. Like, hey, we're leaving in five minutes. And 15 minutes later, it's like, where is she? Oh, she's in the bathroom. What's she doing? Lingering combing your hair for the 47th time. Like, baby, you look fine. We're going to the beach. Well, somebody might be there. Well, you don't care who's there. Oh, no, daddy, I care. No, you don't care. No, daddy, I care. If you keep caring, I will kill them. You don't care. Just get in the car. It's time to go. They lingered. That's what they're doing. And and can I stop and say this? That delayed obedience is disobedience. I know God wants me to get rid of that porn on my computer, but um, I'll do it tomorrow. I know God wants me to start tithing. I'll do that next month's paycheck. I know God wants me to stop watching those movies, but I'll do that next time I'm bored. I won't watch them. Uh, I know God wants me to break up with this dude because he's a complete and utter foolish person, but I'll, I'll do that next after the next date or, or whatever the case may be. Delayed obedience is disobedience, and Lot and his family were delaying, and they did not leave the city of Sodom. Verse number 17. I'd never seen this till this study. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, one of the angels said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Now, 
The city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them were in what would be called the southern region of the Dead Sea. And if you ever go to Israel, you'll, have a, you'll probably have the privilege of, of going to that part of the world and, or that part of Israel and, and seeing this. And there's this giant valley that is there. And God tells them to leave the valley and to go up into the mountains. Now, Lot's life is on the line. God has just rescued him twice. The city of Sodom is not yet destroyed. It's about to be destroyed. But notice what Lot starts doing in verse number 18. Lot's arrogance in 18 to 22 leads him to negotiate with the messengers. In verse number 18. Oh, not so, Lord. I do not want to go into the mountains that are, that, that, that are nearby. Oh, let me not go. Let thy servant find grace in thy sight. Dude hasn't prayed for grace in a decade, but now when he's told he's got to leave and go to the mountains. No, I don't want to go to, be, to the mountains. Uh, you've magnified thy mercy. He's just, he's just being political here. He, he, he's not being, in my opinion and in the opinion of many others, I'm not alone here. There's no genuine repentance in his heart. Uh, Thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life and I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now the city is near to flee unto. It is a little one. Oh let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city. Or the angel says of, of the city of Zoar that Lot's going to go to. Okay, I'm not going to destroy Zoar. Since he had, the angel obviously had freedom from the Lord to say that. I'm not going to destroy Zoar. You can go to Zoar. Go hither there. Verse number 22. Can I, for I cannot do anything till thou come hither. I can't get you out of here until you go there. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot, verse number 23, entered into Zoar. And as soon as Lot entered into Zoar, the Lord rained fire. The Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. You see in verse 23 to 29 that the Lord will preserve the righteousness or the righteous from the destruction of the world. God destroys them, but God saves Lot. No thanks to Lot. God saves Lot. It's interesting, all of this lead up and and it's so few words that the scripture uses about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just very factual. And he overthrew, verse 25, those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city that which grew up upon the ground. The, 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 the vegetation was destroyed. The people were destroyed. The animals were destroyed. And while all of this was happening, Lot's wife looked back from behind him and became a pillar of salt. Well, 
people have said, oh, it's just because she turned around accidentally and looked. No, no, no. She looked back longingly at Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and it, the, the, the words here mean like she missed it. Like, oh, life will never be the same. Life will never be as good as Sodom and Gomorrah. The world had so much to offer me. My daughters are now dead. My sons-in-law are now dead. If I had any grandchildren, they're all destroyed. Everything in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. It was a quick destruction and she looked back with longing at the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and God says, the Bible says that God turned her into a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood. Abraham would have been on the west side of the mountains. If you saw the, the Dead Sea and you were to look to the west side up in the mountains, Abraham would have been there. We've been there, my wife and I, my sister and brother-in-law, we've been there. I look forward to taking many more people from our church there when the country opens back up. And you could see down there just very, very easily. I mean, it's just super easy. There's no trees to block your view. And they, Abraham looked down there and he sees what is happening in verse 27. And he gets up and he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward the land of the plain and beheld. And lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace and it came to pass when the Lord destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. It seems to me rather clearly that the Lord saved Sodom and Gomorrah not for Lot's sake but for Abraham's sake. All the cities were destroyed. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse number 40 says, And God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities thereof, saith the Lord, So shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell there. We believe that it's totally covered up today by the Dead Sea. And the Lord remains faithful. And then we see finally in verse 30 to 38, those who have grown comfortable in the wicked city retain its corruption. So Lot goes to Zoar. And this may be the most difficult, one of the two or three most difficult passages in all the Bible for me. Lot goes to Zoar, not for me to understand, but for me to comprehend as to why this would happen. Lot goes up out of Zohar, so God says you can go to Zohar, and he goes to Zohar, and whatever the reason is, it doesn't work out well for him there. And he goes to the mountains where he was first told to go, and his two daughters go with him. He feared to dwell in Zohar, and the fear of living in the mountains was only eclipsed by the fear of living in this little city. So Lot takes his two daughters with him, and they go to a cave. And his oldest... Now, oldest remaining daughter says to the younger, verse number 31, Our father is old, and there is no man in the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. Let's just have a family party. Let's bring some wine. Let's have our father drink some wine. And we will lie with them. People say, Pastor, I don't know why you're so against wine. Well, I wrote a book about why I am. I hope you'd read it. But let me say, we see yet again in Scripture, 
yet another of the 78 instances where wine is mentioned in the scripture and it's always negative. There's never a positive about it. There's never a positive. You say, well, I drink wine and I feel better. Well, you can smoke crack and feel better for a while, but the product and the end state of it is extremely destructive. Make no mistake, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I just have to have it to sleep. Well, then you're an addict and we need to really talk. Verse 33, and they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not that she lay down, nor when she rose up. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, behold, I yesternight, I, I lay yesternight rather with my father, Let us make him drink wine this night also. You see how immoral Lot has become? He doesn't even know. Let's just get our dad drunk again and thou go in and lie with him and we will preserve seed for our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. Thus thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. One commentator said this, and I thought it was so powerful. He said the one who offered his daughter to be the sexual gratification of his wicked neighbors has now become the object of his daughter's incestuous relationship. In the story of 19.1 to 29 represents Lot as a buffoon. I love that word. A passive object whose moral retardation in the movement of the story appears somewhat comical. And it does. Then the same buffoonery certainly returns here. Lot is a buffoon. For those of you that are young, that just means that dude who has no sense at all. Lot only reverses the direction of his fear in verse number 30. He's living in Zohar, and now he reverses the direction of his fear, and he goes into a cave in the mountains, and he's seduced, the commentator goes on to say, by his own daughter. And, and to be seduced by one's own daughter into an incestuous relationship with pregnancy following is bad enough. But to make matters worse, to fall prey to the whole plot a second time is worse than ever. And to not know it happens is worst of all. And this, if I could use this word candidly and kindly, the stupidity of it all is not lost on the naming of his, of his, of his children and grandchildren. The firstborn's name was Moab. Then he becomes the father. Moab becomes the father of the Moabites. The, the name Moab means son of our father. How would you like that to be your name? Hey, what's your name? Uh, I'm the son of my father. Oh, well, everybody's the son of their... No, no, no. I'm the son of my mom's father. How'd that work out on the playground? You're, you're this, I don't get it. You're the son of your mom's father? Uh, yeah. 
You mean your mom? Yes. Dude, sorry. That's Moab. Then look at verse number 38. And the younger, she shall bear a son and called his name, she also bare a son rather, and called his name Ben-Ami. The same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. When we were in Jordan, Debbie and I were sitting in the front of the bus and we were sitting by our guide and, and he was talking and he said, this is the area of the Ammonites. Wouldn't let the children of Israel pass through. The word Ammon or, or Ben-Ami means the son of our nearest kinsman. Well, who's the nearest kinsman to a woman? The son of the nearest kinsman is the father. So you have Lot, this man who grew up with the friend of God, Abraham, who had Abraham as his mentor, as his teacher, as his friend, as his loved one. And what does Lot do? Lot pitches his tent toward the world, toward Sodom. He acts like it's no big deal. He does his own thing. He jumps full headlong into the world. He begins to live within the city of Sodom. And it's not too long, a period of years, before he is a a respected, in his own mind, though we saw in the text, not in their mind, but in his own mind, he's a respected leader in the city of city of Sodom. And it's not too long before his wife so loves Sodom that she turns into a pillar of salt. He doesn't want to leave Sodom in the face of destruction. I mean, Lot is, Lot is just under the direct control of a life that is fully given over to the world. He is fully controlled by the world. Well, pastor, I mean, I'm different than Lot, are you? I mean, Lot was saved. He said, can't be saved. What he wanted to do with his daughters, what he did with his daughters, the city that he lived in, the joy that he found there, can't have been saved. No, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 7, the scripture says, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. What does the word vexed mean? It means it wore him down. Literally, it means to wear down. Lot just lived in the world and lived in the world and lived in the world. And it was, wasn't too long before that the world just wore him down. He was righteous. He was redeemed. But the world just wore him down. Given enough time, given enough opportunities, given enough conversation with the world, they, they literally just vexed his righteous soul. Verse number 8 of Second Peter chapter 2 says, For the righteous man dwelleth among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot. Lot, we shouldn't be doing this. I don't think it's that big a deal. It's okay. I don't think God cares. It'll be fine. 
But Lot, I mean, the scripture says not to do this. God says not to do this. You heard the pastor preach that we shouldn't do this. I mean, come on, we know. We've had conversations with friends. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't allow our children to do this, Lot. Come on, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't allow our daughters to date them. We shouldn't be in favor of this. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. And his righteous soul was, this is what 2 Peter 2, 8 says, his righteous soul was worn down, vexed with their unlawful deeds. Well, why did Lot allow that to happen? Turn over with me to 1 John. Chapter 2. Verse number 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. Son of Gomorrah is going to pass away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Now here's the interesting reality, the word love. The lot was righteous. So Lot was looking for the love of the world, but because he was righteous and the spirit of God lived inside of him, he never really found the fulfillment in the world that the world finds in the world. Think for a second. He could never find the fulfillment in the world that the world finds in the world. He was always looking for the fulfillment of the world in himself, but he couldn't find it because he was a believer. And the Spirit of God would not allow Lot to enjoy the world like the world promised it could be enjoyed because he was a believer. And the Spirit of God just brought tremendous conviction. No matter what happened, Lot could never find the pleasure of the world. That's why sometimes people come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I was in the world, and it just wasn't as fun to me as it was everybody else. Well, if you're a believer, it won't be as fun to you because the Spirit of God won't let it be as fun to you. It won't be as pleasurable to you. You'll never find the peace, or, or not peace, but you'll never find the fun and the, the temporary satisfaction because there's pleasure in sin for a season. You'll never be able to find the pleasure of the world in the world if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the love of the Father is in you. And Lot was never able to find the pleasure in the world that the world offered because he was a follower of, of the Lord. He was saved. He had a righteous soul. It was vexed. It was wore down. He submitted to it trying to find pleasure, but he could never find pleasure because the Spirit of God lived inside of him. But he kept trying I don't think it's a big deal. Pitch my tent towards Sodom. Let my family see Sodom before they go to bed and before they wake up. No big deal at all. I'm tired of people being so legalistic and they're saying, don't pitch your tent towards Sodom. I don't care what old Uncle Abraham says. I'm pitching my tent towards Sodom. Beautiful view at night. Hear their singing, listening to their music. No problem at all. I love pitching my tent towards Sodom. It just puts us to sleep at night. I'm telling you what, it is so peaceful. You have no idea. And you legalistic Christians over there telling me that I can't pitch my tent towards Sodom. I'm tired of hearing about pitching my tent towards Sodom. I'm doing what I want to do and nobody's telling me any different. All I'm doing is pitching the tent towards Sodom. Oh, okay. Honey, I'm tired of living in this tent. Well, baby, where do you want to live? You know, I was driving around Sodom in our convertible camel 2.0. 
And I'll tell you what, I found us a house. Really? Oh, it's a house. It's a sealed house. It's nice. We've got plenty of money. We've got big flocks and herds. All you'll have to do is sell a few of the herds and, or a few of the cattle, and we'll have plenty of money to be able to buy this house. Maybe I just want to live there. Well, you know, it's kind of a wicked place. I, I don't know that we should live there. Come on, Lot. Are you telling me that you're going to be like old Uncle Abraham? I mean, what are you, a Baptist pastor, and you just see the negatives everywhere? Come on, Lot. It's no big deal. Okay, sweetheart, let me go look. And Lot goes and looks. Oh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, I get that their entertainment is anti-God. I get that their words are anti-God. I get that their school system's anti-God. But we'll be able to make it in this world. We'll be able to survive. We'll prove all of them wrong. I mean, they all preach against this stuff and talk against it. But it's not that big a deal, is it, sweetheart? No, it's not. And if you do it, I'll tell you what, I'll reward you later. Okay, we're buying the house and so they go and buy the house. I mean, we're not going to be involved in this world. We're just going to live here because it's closer to the grocery store and it's closer to the laundry mat. <laughs> Who goes there? But it's closer to the laundry mat and, and we're able to, to get places much more easy and it's closer to do business. It's not like we're opening a business here. We'll just live here. A few years later, hey, Lot, there needs to be somebody on the board of directors of this business Matter of fact, if you do that, there's probably a political opening. You might be sitting at the city gates before too long. We thought you'd be weird and strange, but you don't seem weird and strange to us. You seem just like the rest of us. I mean, you don't preach against what we do. You don't even think that what we do is bad or wrong. Matter of fact, you let your daughters marry our sons. Why don't you come on? Okay, I'll do it. Lot comes in, sits in the city gates. Jim, he's one of them. He's no different. His kids are marrying their kids. His business is their business. His work is their work. His affection is their affection. Their delight is his delight. Their comedy is his comedy. Their language is his language. Their music is his music. Their attractions are his attractions. Their dress is his dress. I'm just saying everything about the world is on lot. There's absolutely no difference at all. Love not the world. Now, Lot was saved. Bible says so. I wouldn't have voted that he was, but God said he was. But I'll tell you this. Nobody knew it. No, did you hear me? Nobody knew it, not even his family. You say, well, why are you preaching that to us? We're here on a Sunday night, Labor Day weekend, when people are all over the world doing all of that. Well, because I think probably at some point, well, two reasons. Number one, it's the next chapter. And we're an expositional church. We could have been in, I don't know where else we could have, we could have been wherever we could have been, but this is where we are. It's the next chapter. And number two, I think there would have been a time in Lot's life when he could have sat inside a service just like this and said amen and hallelujah and glory to God and sang for the cause and all the things that we've done tonight. It would have been not difficult or strange for Lot at all. But over time, his soul was vexed. His soul was worn down. He just gave up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. Now, if I can be very candid, what we're beginning to see or what we're seeing at a 
fast rate within Christendom today are people who are taking step after step after step closer and closer and closer to the world. And they're going, well, I mean, come on, nothing's happened so far. I mean, nothing's happened so far. I mean, nothing's happened so far. You know when Lot realized that something had happened? When was when God was destroying the city with fire and brimstone. Well, what do I do? Well, Second First Corinthians chapter ten, verse number thirteen. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Can I promise you this? That every time Lot took a step toward the world, God offered an escape out of Lot's sin. But Lot rejected the escape and did his own thing. And did his own thing. So here's the big idea of this passage of scripture. Being closely associated with the world will wear you down to a point you never thought possible. I just don't think it matters. No big deal. Tired of people. Some of you young people say things like this, especially some of you young people that grew up in church. Oh, they're just being so hard. They have no idea what they're talking about. Might be good for you to have some old codgerly people in your life to help keep you on the straight and narrow. And they might know some things that are going on in this world that you in your youth, nothing wrong with being youth. I was there one time, kind of missed those days. But there might be a need for some of you to go, you know what, just because the counselors in my life have told me that I shouldn't do this, I'm just not going to do this because I'm going to listen to those folks who have a little bit more wisdom and have walked down life's road a little bit longer than I have and they love the Lord and they're living for the Lord and they're, they're, they're telling me to do things to, to keep me protected from the world as to include me in the world and I'm, I tire of hearing people on a regular basis who encourage young people to explore the world and break down every wall and break down every standard and remove all separation. No big deal. You want to get in a bikini and go to the beach and put on your Brazilian and wear your thong and shake your butt all over the beach and have guys oogle all over you and go home and think nasty thoughts and do nasty things thinking about you. No big deal. God created the body. It's beautiful. Flaunt it if you got it. No, no, no. Let me just say, you need somebody in your life to say, hey, it's time that you understand principles of modesty and live modestly. And we're not trying to be resistant or unkind or ungracious but your body is for your husband's and his body is for you. Keep it protected for them and don't engage with the world because once you get them with, you better keep them with and sweetheart, gravity affects everybody. So unless you're going to live your entire life sleeping on your head, you better understand things begin to sag and you'll begin to look like a mountain that's fallen down into the ocean one of these days. Duct tape ain't attractive. (laughs) I wish you would. I'm just saying, the music of the world. I mean, the music of our day is just perverse. I'm not saying it was great when we grew up, but I mean, come on, Otis Redding, when a man loves a woman or sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time, watching the tide roll away, a little bit different than what little Nas is going off with now.
Well, I don't think anybody should tell us not to do stuff. Okay, Lot. Okay, Lot. Oh, pastor, you just have no earthly idea how strong I am. I'm strong enough to engage in sin. Well, then you're stronger than all of the apostles. And you're stronger than your pastor. The Bible says to run from sin. Will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it? The only way that you can bear the temptation is to get away from it. Two thousand three, I was knocking doors in Chesterton Military Housing, and I'm done. I was knocking doors in Chesterton Military Housing. It was a Thursday, as near as I can recall, and I came and I knocked on a door. I don't remember the street. I could find it. It's in our records, but I knocked on the door of this house in Chesterton, and this man came to the door, and we began to talk, and he said, oh, you're a pastor, and I said, I am, I'm the pastor at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. How long has your church been around? Nine months. Oh, that's awesome. My wife and I want to be a part of a church. We haven't been able to find a church in the area. And I invited them to church and they came and began to talk about his background. This man said he was saved. He had been away from the Lord, Navy life, war had been going on, but he was home and serving on shore duty and and in a supportive role. And he had got in some trouble. He'd been in the Navy about 17 years, gotten some trouble for some images that were on his computer of children. And he said, Pastor, I'm telling you right now, I remember sitting in my car, my pink Ford Escort, I remember right where we were. And he was sitting in my car over at, uh, on the way back from a visit that we had made back to the Kearney Mesa Rec Center. And he said, Pastor, no doubt about it. I, I, gear, I promise you, those were not my images. I, I don't know what's going on. And I said, okay, I'll take it your word. Stayed in our church for about two and a half, three years. The Navy allowed him to retire. He got busted down in rank a little bit, but that's about the extent of the punishment at the time. He got a good job offer here in San Diego, and I said to him, called him by name, and I will say his name was John. That wasn't his name, but we'll say his name was John. I said, John, man, don't leave. He said, why? I said, because you're growing, your family is growing, your, your wife is doing well spiritually, you've just been through a major crisis, you have a great job offer, please don't leave. I'm not saying everybody shouldn't leave, John, but I don't think you should leave, and I, I really just feel very uneasy if you leave. He said, but pastor, our dream has been to live in Texas. I said, I came from there, that's called a nightmare he said, no, pastor, I promise it's been our dream. And we, 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 we are going to buy a big house. We're going to buy like a three or 4,000 square foot house. And we're buying several acres and, and we're going to Texas and we're going to live. And pastor, there's good churches in Texas. I said, John, I'm, there's great churches in Texas. I came from one. There's a lot of great churches in Texas, but I'm just trying to be very, very cautious. No, this is what we're going to do. I said, okay. All right. I support you if that's what you're going to do. But man, I just am very, very concerned. Nope, we're going. Retired out of the Navy and moves away. Last time I heard from him. I mean, we all know people in San Diego, they move away. You don't always hear from folks, not upset by it. Their life goes on, no big deal. 
I'd prayed for him off and on like I do probably the thousands of people that have come through Canyon Ridge as the Lord would bring them to mind. I would just pray, I'd just pray for folks. And if I had a prayer list for everyone, that's all I would do. I would never sleep. By the time I finished, the week would be over and I'd have to start over again. And so just kind of trust the Lord to bring them to mind and, and pray for them every time that the Lord would bring them to mind, which has been hundreds of times over the years. Three years ago, 2019, I'm walking into the office and John says to me, because John reads all my mail. So if you write hate mail, John reads it and then he types up something nice that you said. So, and John said, Pastor, you got a letter. I, I think you need to read it pretty quickly. And uh, I said, okay, who's it from? He goes, I don't know. He goes, he said the name. He goes, but I don't know this guy. As soon as John said the name, I'm like, oh, I remember that guy. John said, well, look at the address. I said, 6866 Linda Vista Road. And John slapped me like, no, look at the return address. It said Marion Federal Correction Facility, Marion, Illinois, and gave the number and everything. I said, oh, huh, that's interesting. And my first thought was, he must be a guard there. That's literally my first thought. I want to think good of people. So I thought, oh, he's a guard. I opened up the letter and I began to read the letter how that this man was in the trafficking of the images that were on his computer. I mean, we got kids here, so I'm not going to be graphic here. And he put in there, Pastor, my, I've been found guilty of this. I've been in prison now for six or seven years. We filed the letter, six or seven years. My Wife in the middle of the trial. His wife was a sickly lady. The pressure of the trial got to her. And she's dead now. Died of a massive heart attack. My children have disowned me. When they had a funeral for my wife, they also had a funeral for me. They talk to my mom. My mom talks to me. They're faithfully serving the Lord, but they want nothing to do with me because the heinous acts that I did. He said, I'm in prison for 25 years. I'll get out when I'm in my 70s. And he said these words, and I've titled the message this. I never thought it would go this far. I, I never thought it would go this far. I just pitched my tent towards Sodom. I never thought it would get this far. I just started finding pleasure in the world. I never thought it would get this far. I just started hanging out with people that, I mean, come on, they weren't bad. I just never thought it would get this far. I never thought that first image would lead to an addiction, which would lead to distribution, which would lead to me being in prison, which would lead to my life being threatened. This is what he said. Every time I walked down the hallway, I wrote him, he wrote me back. He said, please pray for me. I was beaten up severely in one of the areas where there is no video cameras. I just never thought it would get this far. That's what sin does. It takes you farther than you could ever imagine. It costs you more than you ever thought it would cost. It keeps you longer than you ever thought it could keep you. Why is that? 
Because Satan is a liar and a deceiver and wants to do one thing in your life. And that's to destroy your life. It's all he desires to do. I know I've been long tonight, but it's a long passage. We got through a whole chapter. Let me tell you, some of you think you can flirt around with the world and mess around with the world and you got it all under control and you can keep it. And, and, and it's, it's like people tell me, I know when to stop drinking. I know when to stop sinning, pastor. I know when. You think, you think you're smarter than Satan? You think you can handle him? Oh, don't be foolish. Run to the Lord for repentance. Trust in him. Seek his help. Trust his grace. And ask him for wisdom and guidance. And be submitted and surrendered to the Lord. Because there's no temptation taking you, but such is his common demand. Everybody goes through the same temptation. Well, why did they fall? Because when the Lord provided the way of escape, they didn't take it. That's why. And Lot's story, I've been pastoring now. Good grief. In some capacity, this November, 27 years. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lots in my life. And thank the Lord, I've seen a whole lot of people who aren't lots and love the Lord and serve him. And the people who love the Lord and serve him, if I can just be honest with you, 27 years later, have a way better, joyful, faith-filled, peaceful life and the lots of this world? I just told you one story. I could tell you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Why? Because it's here at Canyon Ridge. I never thought it would go this far. No, that's the end state of sin. It always goes that far. Always. The issue is, will you take the way of escape? Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.